Well, it is a joy to head into the Christmas season again together with you as a church family because there is nothing I would rather be preaching about than bringing right back into focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ. I hope you sense always, all year long, I try to get there. We get to Jesus constantly, but Christmas is that time where this is what it's supposed to be about, right on Jesus. So I love it. I have no less enthusiasm this year than I did in 1996 when I thought, what should I preach? And I thought I would run out of ideas for Christmas. Like, oh, we did Matthew, we did Luke, we did. What do we do? We got the Bible. So we are still going to dig into it. And it is, quite frankly, glorious. But here's what we're going to do this year. To get at the heart of this Christmas message, we're going to talk about light. But maybe in a way that you've never considered before. Most people delight in the first early rays of a sunrise. The spectacle of a hot pink sunset that just splashes across the sky. The sparkle of stars pinned against a jet black sky. And even the joy of fireflies lighting up a warm summer night. But why? Why do we love Light And why does it move us the way it does? Well, it's not just a big deal. We don't just love light. The reason it moves us and we love it is because we actually need it to survive. Without light, we've got limited sight in the darkness. Without daily exposure to it, we can't even stay healthy and get the vitamin D that we need. On top of that, experts now know. That light can actually shape your moods so that a deficiency of light in certain places and certain seasons of the calendar can cause you to feel depressed. They've got a term for it now, sad, seasonal affective disorder. You're just not getting enough light. We need light. It affects us in so many ways. Think about even this. Think about even how light can dictate the way a space or a certain room feels. You can pay big bucks to have someone come in. Their company, it's their job to think how lighting changes how we all feel, feel about a room or space. Light, light. The right use of lights can transform any room or space to feel a certain way. Warm lights create a welcoming environment. Colorful, sparkling lights. That's what we got a lot going on right now. Create, do they not, a festive, upbeat tone. Just a few months ago, even in our own area, we hosted the Blink Festival, right? Many of you were there as a part of that. The Blink Festival that boasted, it boasted the largest light, art, and projection mapping event in the nation. In the nation. It spanned more than 30 city blocks on both sides of the river in Kentucky and Ohio and attracted more than 1.5 million people who all tried to jam down into the streets. Some of you were there in Covington and Cincinnati. Why? Why are we so attracted to a display of lights? Well, The CEO of the Cincinnati Regional Chamber at the end of the event put it this way, and I quote. He said, it was a moment like no other. That kind of energy 
is what carries us forward. What's he talking about? Well, he may not realize it or be aware of it, but he's bumping right up against, right up against something that every human being longs for to some degree. You see, light captures wonder. Wonder. We're made for more. Light captures wonder and it draws people together in a way that creates a sense of energy and excitement and even hope. 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 And so it should come as no surprise if this all, if this all surrounds how we feel and think about light, it should come as no surprise that the author of light is our good creator, God. He's the very author of light. And stay with me. This amazing gift of light surrounds one person more than any other. That eclipses sunrises, sunsets, Christmas net sets on bushes. There is one person for which light surrounds and epitomizes more than any other. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah 9. And I haven't said this in a while, so look at me. Let me say it today. If you're new to our church family, or maybe you've been here a while, let me remind you, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. Bring your, we're still that church. I know it sounds old school. We want you to bring a Bible. So many churches are like, I don't need to bring my Bible. They don't really use it. They throw a verse on the screen every now and then. I want you to bring a Bible because we're going to go to some amazing passages and I want you to see them for yourself. And I want you to actually not just hear sermons week after week, but become familiar with a Bible that's your own. And you can go there again because, folks, my words have no power. His word has power. I want you to see. We're going to read some long passages that I want you to see for yourself. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people who walked... In darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Skip to verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah said that 700 years before Jesus ever took on flesh and stepped into our dark world. So now go to John chapter 1 and let me show you the fulfillment of that promise in Isaiah 9. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's referring to Jesus, the second person in the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, some of you might have a translation that says, and the darkness did not overcome it. 
You think, those sound like so, such different words in English. How can they both be true? Let me help you. In the Greek, the word is katalambano. And it was a word that meant to lay hold of something, to attain it, to seize it. And so it got used two different ways in their culture. You think about it. When you understand something, you have laid hold of it and you've attained it. You've apprehended it. But also when you overcome something, you get a hold of it. So both. And both are true. This darkness of our world does not fully comprehend the light of who Jesus is. And though it does not like it, it cannot overcome it. It just keeps coming into our world. It just keeps coming into our world. So either way works. The darkness did not overcome it. The darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man, talking about John the Baptist, this man came for a witness. To bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, we're learning a lot right here. You are not born a child of God. You're born in the image of God. But you become children of God when you put your trust in Jesus. He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. How does it happen? Who were born not of blood. You do not become a Christian by being born into the right biological family. My parents were, my grandparents were, my great... And so I am. Nope. Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. You can't just decide, I think I'll be a Christian. You would never decide that. You would never want that. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. Someone else can't decide it for you. Your parents can want you desperately to be a Christian. You can have a loved one who desperately wants it for you. But they cannot do it for you. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So how does this ever happen? Oh, some good news. But of, say it. Say it again. God. But of God. And the word became flesh. Christmas. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of two things we desperately need. Full of, say it, and grace and truth. Now go to 2 Corinthians 4, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, go hard right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore... Since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds The God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God. Should shine on them. 
For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what can we learn about Jesus? Who he really is. What can we learn about Jesus? And what can we learn about this darkness? Don't you feel it? This darkness that just seems to lay so heavy in our world all around us. And seems to be feeling heavier and growing darker. What can we learn about Jesus and who he really is? And this darkness we're in in our world today. Well, here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, God gave us. The best and brightest light when he gave us his son. Look at verse four again. If you got your Bible and you don't mind marking it, I hope you don't. I want you to underline the phrase in your Bible that captures what we're talking about today. I want you to underline the phrase, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Underline that in verse 4. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, the gospel, you guys, has light in it. It has light in it. And that light is there because of the glory of Jesus, who is the image of God. Then look at verse 6. Because I want you to underline something there as well. Verse 6. Underline that last phrase. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, do you hear what's going on? We got glory in two different verses, but it's being phrased in two different ways. Verse 4 is talking about the glory of Christ. Verse 6 is talking about the glory of God but they are mixing back and forth freely and equally between Jesus and God because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. In other words, if you want to experience the light of knowing the one true living God of the universe, it's found in the person Of Jesus Christ. You will never know God. Apart from his son. Jesus Christ. You will never know God. Apart from his son. Jesus Jesus is not optional. He's not an add on. He's not. Well maybe I'll consider that. I want to know God. I don't know about Jesus. In other words. Get this. These are not two separate endeavors. Where you say. I think I'm going to study. And search out God. I'm going to study hard. Who God is. And I'm going to stop that study, set it aside. I'm going to do an altogether different study where I search out who Jesus really is. Oh, listen to me. No matter which end of your search you start with. Listen to me. No matter which end of your search you start with, one will lead you back to the other every time. Every time. Because God reveals himself most fully In his son. And Jesus shows us. 
who God really is and what he's like. God reveals himself most fully in his son. And Jesus shows us who God the Father really is and what he's like. And so here's the bottom line of what we learn from these verses. The gospel is not so much a list of mental facts. Okay, Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. The gospel is not so much a list of mental facts that you assent to. The gospel is all about a person you have to submit to. And his name is, say it, say it louder. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. Without Jesus, we would never know the gospel. And without Jesus, we would never know the glory of an incomprehensible, transcendent, high and lifted up and holy God. That's why John chapter 1, we didn't keep reading into it, but that's why John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known. He's made Him known. He's made Him known. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. 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 He's made Him known. He has made Him known. And so here's the question on the table. Maybe you're feeling it. If Jesus came... To make known the glory of who God really is to us. Then why don't more people see it and celebrate it like they should? Was it a failed mission? Jesus isn't real good at this. This passage answers that question. Why don't more people see it and celebrate it like they should? Point number two. People can't celebrate what they can't see and don't want to see. Oh, there's two problems as to why people don't see it and celebrate it like they should. People can't celebrate what they can't see and don't want to see. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. But even if our gospel is veiled, do you not feel sometimes like, Oh my goodness, the gospel is so simple. It's so clear. It's so childlike. Why does it seem like there's this mist and this veil that they don't get it? They just can't get it. They don't. Am I, am I not doing a good job? Am I not speaking clearly? Do I not have a best illustration? What is up? But even if our gospel is veiled, it very often feels like it is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God, little g, God in his sovereignty has allowed Satan for this time still to have some measure of ability to do what he does. He's on a short leash and it's coming to an end. The God of this age has blinded their minds. Lest they believe. Lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Oh, there's more than one way to describe a person who's not a Christian. There's more, more than one way to come at this, right? There's a lot we could say about what characterizes someone who's not a Christian. But you guys, I truly believe these two little verses get right at the heart of what's going on with anyone who is not a Christian, who's not a believer, who's not a Christ follower. 
If you're frustrated and wondering what's going on with your loved one or friend who just doesn't seem to get it, right? When you're a Christian, especially those you love the most, children, dear friends, oh, you want them to get it. You want them to have what you have. You know the difference it's made. You know the sense of peace and purpose and joy and just how it just changes and reorients you and you want it for them. If you have some frustration and you're wondering what is going on with your loved one or friend who just can't seem to get it and doesn't seem to understand that the gospel is actually good news the way you think it is, then let these two little verses sink in. Because they get to the heart of what is going on. And they explain the spiritual condition of every man or woman apart from the grace of God. Doesn't matter how rich they are, how smart they are, education, background, family they grew up. You can grow up in a homeschooling home, Christian home, name it. It has nothing to do with school choice. Every human being is born in this condition that 2 Corinthians 3, 3 and 4 is talking about. And it takes the grace of God to change that. This is what's going on. Apart from the grace of God. Look at what verse 3 says again. Two things. Two things are going on. There's a veil that keeps this glorious gospel from even looking like good news to them. And there's an enemy. There's an enemy, the God of this age, who is working hard to keep the veil in place by blowing smoke and blinding them to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's blowing smoke and blinding them to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Greek word for blinded right there in verse 4 is taken from the Greek root word tufos that means to burn or smoke. To burn or smoke. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Who here has not experienced the disappointment of being in some beautiful part of the world, right? You've seen postcards. You've seen it on the Discovery Channel. Friends have been there and told you how breathtaking it was, but you get there in this beautiful spot of the world, and yet you're unable to see that beauty. You've been told it's there, but it's shrouded and covered over by the fires of smoke that have settled in, usually from California, right? I mean, I mean, the smoke just moves across entire states. On more than one occasion, I've stood on a ridge in Montana and been assured by my host that there are breathtaking, spectacular mountains right in front of me. But I cannot see them. The grandeur, the beauty, the wonder is hidden by the smoke that is settled in. So that it takes someone who's been there and seen it for themselves to tell you about it. Or you would never believe it. So stay with me. Stay with me a minute. That is what's going on spiritually in our world, you guys. 
The little God of this age keeps the fires of this temporal world raging and burning and smoking so that men and women created in the image of God and for the glory of God live as if there is no God. But be careful. The fact that Satan is blowing smoke and working so hard to blind people to the glory of God and to keep a veil over the good news of the gospel does not mean that people are innocent victims of his scheme. So what are you talking about, Brad? Well, the apostle John talks about it in John 3 when he says in verse 19... This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. I want to keep doing what I want to keep doing. And I'm more comfortable with darkness. The NIV puts it this way. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Oh, listen, no matter how hard Satan works to keep this veil of deception between people and the gospel, and no matter how much smoke he pumps into our world, he cannot keep the glory and power of God from punching through and piercing the darkness and the smoke at times. It still gets through. And so men and women have to actually suppress the truth about God because some of it does get through to them and they don't want it. That's what Romans 1 is talking about. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, says, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, since what may be known about God is clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities. Oh, yeah, we can't see God. What can you see? Evidence of God, his invisible qualities, his divine nature and power have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. All you have to do is just scratch the surface in any field of study, astronomy, Biology, mathematics, music, and you would begin to sense, because you're created in his image, there must be a God. How could this all work like this? What keeps the the DNA helix? Who put that together? It took men and women decades to just map out the DNA helix. An explosion, my friends, did not do that. Every time something blows up at the airport, there's metal and shrapnel everywhere. Not a 747 sitting there ready to go. An intelligent, almighty, wise, glorious, beautiful creator God put this in place. Little babies with their little ears. And the teeny tiny fingernail that still has a cuticle. And you're like, oh my word. 
right? You can't get away from the glory of God and evidence of it that just cries out, this couldn't have all just happened. This couldn't have all just happened. How do they know there's a God? Because of creation itself. So that they are, say it, without excuse. So what's really going on? He goes on. Because although they knew God, they know there's a God. They did not glorify him. I don't want to make much of somebody else. I want to make much of me. I don't want to live for somebody else. I want to live for me. I don't want to be accountable to someone else. I want to be unaccountable and autonomous. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. This is interesting, the next phrase. Nor were, anybody know? We don't want to have to think, I need to thank somebody else for anything that I have. No, it's me, it's me, it's me. I don't want to glorify God and I don't want to be thankful. Now, when that's where you are, by choice, what begins to happen? Okay, here's what begins to happen. So they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you hear the passive verb there? Someone else didn't do this to them. They did it themselves. Romans 1. Romans chapter 1 is talking about a self-inflicted darkness. So yes, there's an enemy blowing smoke and trying to keep a veil between people and the gospel. But that's not the only problem we got going on. The little bit that punches through on a regular basis, they suppress it. And don't want to see it. Don't want to acknowledge it. In other words, there's a darkness that we choose because we refuse to glorify God. I don't want to do that. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want to worship someone else. And so, folks, I hope you realize this helps so much. I know this is heavy. But in many ways, you don't live as confused by what's going on, especially with your loved ones. This explains why academically and intelligent, brilliant people, men and women, will ignore evidence and refuse to investigate Christianity and Jesus, the claims of Jesus Christ. I know the media harps on, they would love for everyone to believe the only people that are Christians are stupid. No, that comment is stupid. You you have to ignore so much of history. So many of the original scientists and people, Copernicus and on and on I could go. Men and women who loved God and Jesus so often did what they did to the glory of God. Brilliant people all throughout history have come to know Christ. It is not a matter of IQ. I just finished reading a book called Surprised at Oxford. Carolyn Weber who got saved. Yes, that's not a bastion for Christianity, right? You say, I want my daughter to go to a Christian Bible college. So she'll, Oxford. She, she was raised in an atheist home, taught specifically that there's not a God. And she was brilliant in literature and she got a full ride to Oxford. But guess what? There are Christians on the campus of Oxford. And there are actually some professors still. Yes, it's hard to be one and keep your job, but they're there. And she came to faith 
in Christ at Oxford. C.S. Lewis was a brilliant Oxford scholar. Same school. There he was. C.S. Lewis was a brilliant Oxford scholar in literature. He read books and studied them for a living. This is what he does for hours with his pipe in front of a fireplace. And yet he admits as an atheist, he admits that even though he would read hours and hours and hours of Greek mythology, he avoided reading the New Testament documents. Even though he knew they were some of the most influential works in all the history of civilization. Why? In his autobiography titled Surprised by Joy, he admits that it was, and I quote him, a willful blindness. He said it was a willful blindness. I want to stay blind. I don't want to see any more truth. Folks, do not be ashamed or feel sheepish about Christianity. It is not some existential leap into darkness based on nothing. Invite your friends to study it, investigate it, seek out the claims. People come to faith in Christ and turn to Christianity after they examine it. One of the reasons so many people are not believers is they just keep parroting what someone else said and they've never read the New Testament and they've never examined or searched out the claims of Christ or the resurrection. And the world would love for you not to and Satan doesn't want you to because when you do, people come to faith in Christ. You do not need to be scared. When someone says, well, I'm going to check this out. Say, please do. Please do. Don't continue in your willful blindness. He says it was a willful blindness. Because he says, I found the concept of a transcendent God who might interfere with my life repugnant. That's pretty strong. That's a word that means disgust. It just repels me. The very thought that there'd be a high and lifted up God who just, notice what he's saying, who just might interfere with my life. I can't tell you how many parents in our church, because I've been here long enough, come up to me broken hearted because their son or their daughter went to UK or Louisville or Cincinnati. And now they're an atheist. That does not scare me. And they want me to give them books by Ravi Zacharias. To give, I, I, just pray. Almost every time I find it has nothing to do with that Christianity has crumbled and cannot stand up. He's sleeping with his girlfriend. He's having sex now. And so he feels better saying he's an atheist because he doesn't know what to do with this angst. I need to say I don't believe this anymore because it's so hard to hold on to this and do what I want to do. Most of what people are doing is driven by what they want to do, not what they believe. And they begin to say what they believe based on what they want to do. 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 Don't hear me saying there's no place for apologetics. There is. But don't go crazy and just think, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm not smart enough to talk to people. You are. You are. And it's not always some book. Often it's they want to do what they want to do. So they say this to feel better about what they're doing. Willful. Blindness, willful blindness. Oh, listen, maybe you're sitting here thinking, oh, dear me, Brad. 
if Satan is blowing smoke to veil the good news of the gospel and people are running from the glory of God and suppressing what does punch through the smoke into their lives, how is anybody going to get saved? Good news. Really good news. That's what verse 6 is all about. And it's what Christmas is all about. Number three. God has to do for us what we could and would never do for ourselves. Look at verse 6 again. For it is the God. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where is it most found? In the face of Jesus Christ. That's how anyone who's ever become a Christian became a Christian. God spoke light into the dark heart. Spoke it. Turned on the spiritual lights. Turned on the spiritual lights. You did not save yourself. You did not find God. He found you and saved you by His sovereign grace when He turned on the spiritual lights for you to see the beauty and goodness and glory of Jesus and the gospel. Apart from the grace of God, you guys, it would still be lights out for all of us. I hope you don't think, well, I just heard the gospel and thought, duh, heaven, hell, I'll take heaven. Oh, no, my friend. If it was that simple for you and you got saved at seven, stop saying, oh, I don't have an exciting testimony. You have an amazing testimony. God in his mercy revealed himself to you at an early age and spared you all kinds of heartache. But God saved you. Not homeschool, not Christian school, not even Konos Christian with plaid skirts. None of it will change a heart. If your heart is changed and you've been loving Jesus for a long time, God did that. He turned on the spiritual lights for you so that this message sounded like good news and this Jesus looked like a glorious Savior to you. But it's what God did. It's what God did. God said, whenever it is you think you got saved, God said, let there be light. Whether you were sitting at that funeral, whether you were just reading your Bible, whether you were hearing a sermon, whether you're at youth camp, whether you were having coffee with a friend. Whenever this took place, there was someone bigger behind your friend or whatever else. God spoke and said, let there be light. And the smoke lifted and the scales fell from your eyes. And for the first time ever. The gospel sounded like good news and Jesus looked like the beautiful, glorious, merciful Savior that he is. And you wanted to follow him. And then you put your faith in him. You're like, well, didn't I have to put my faith in him? Yes, you did. But why? Why then and not earlier? Had you never heard the gospel before? For most of you, that's absolutely not true. Why was that moment different? I'll tell you why. God spoke light into your heart. 
so that the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, was beautiful to you for the first time ever. And yes, you trusted and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And do you realize what Paul's doing here? He didn't have the New Testament, right? They had the Old Testament. Do you realize the parallel between verse 6 and another place in Scripture? Listen again. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Does that sound reminiscent of any other place in Scripture? Genesis 1. Genesis 1. He's referring back to Genesis 1 where God simply spoke light into the darkness and chaos of this world. And it was. Darkness did nothing to create light. Darkness did not participate in the process in any way. Darkness was a recipient of light. And so the parallel is between the creation of physical light and spiritual light are uncanny. Listen to Genesis 1. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Your life, my life, was formless, empty, dark. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God worked. And God the Father spoke light into your dark heart so that you could hear the gospel as good news and see Jesus as a merciful, beautiful Savior, he did that for you. And he's doing it for me. Don't, don't lose heart. You say, oh man, this, this is, makes it sound like it's so much God. Oh folks, you want it to be a lot of God. That's why it doesn't matter where you're growing up, what part of the world, how many resources, how much Christianity, how many good books, how much software, how, how, how. God, for all of history, has been saving men and women all over the world from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. Because he, he can go into China. They can say we can't go in as missionaries. They can't keep God out. He can save people in Dubai and save people in Saudi Arabia and save people in Bangladesh. And he can speak light into dark hearts and save people. And he's been doing it through all of history. Don't feel sorry for God. Don't feel limited on how is this, how is this, how is this movement going to continue? How is the kingdom going to progress? God's been doing it. That's why in Revelation it says on that final day, and it's coming much sooner than some of you would wish... We will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb with palm branches in our hands. And there will be people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation because God is that good, that merciful, that 
powerful. And that glorifies him. That there will be a kaleidoscope of people with every skin color and with every language and from every background. Because it won't be about what a family did or a person did or a book did. It will be what God did. And we'll praise him. And we will praise him and thank him. Let me show you one more thing from this text, because I don't want you to make a, a mistake here or misunderstand something. This passage has been so heavy about the sovereignty of God and his power. He has to do it. You say, Brad, you pushed that so hard. He has to do it. He has to do it. If he has to do it, I guess there's nothing for us to do. Don't do that. That's why verse five is in this passage. Look at verse five again. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. In other words, folks, after God saves you, you start living for someone beside you. So please, just because the word preach is there, don't think, oh, good. I hope you do a lot of that, Brad. The word right there is caruso, and it simply means to proclaim or publish. You can proclaim Jesus. Don't say, I hope pastors will keep preaching him. I do too. But you are called to do what verse 5 is saying. Proclaim him, publish him. Make it known. Make it known publicly. Make it known. Speak about him. Speak up. Speak up. Speak up. After God saves you, you start living for somebody beside you. You stop promoting yourself. And you start living for something Bigger and looking for opportunities to talk about someone besides yourself. In fact, when you truly know Jesus and are filled with his spirit. You are compelled to talk about him. You can't keep it in. You can't keep it in. Nobody has to elbow me or send me an email occasionally and say, hey, say something nice about Vicky. It's been like forever. I love her. One of my favorite things is when she finally travels with me to some other state where I've been teaching and they meet her. I'll hear them say, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad to meet you. He talks about you all the time. Why? I love her and I'm growing to love her even more and I'm more intimate with her and I know her better and I love her ways and I delight in her and I'm so grateful for her. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You guys, when you know Jesus and you know what he's done for you and you see some of you don't know him well because you don't read your Bible. So again, get over. Well, that just sounds like a legalistic thing. You got to read your Bible. I read my Bible so that I would know my savior and so that I'll understand and reorient myself to what is really going on in this world. I'm growing to know him. I'm meeting with him in the morning. I never get over what he's done for me because I never stop reading the scriptures. And as I love him. I talk about him. Now, please don't hear me saying I have no struggle. Yes, I'll feel prompted to say something. I have the flesh you have. It's like, oh, don't. They don't look interested. No, they look mean. No, this isn't going to go well. Don't do it. Don't do it. I have all that going on in me too. Please know. But at least I have the desire. Do you ever even have the desire? Is it ever even there? Talk about Jesus. Say something about Jesus. Say something to them. See, that's where Paul goes next in the very next chapter, chapter 5. 
Verse 14 and 15, he says, For the love of Christ compels me. That is a strong word. Compels me. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live. He means you're spiritually alive now. You're not the walking dead. It's no longer lights out. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again. Listen to me. I do believe 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 could be a litmus test. As to whether or not you're truly born again. Don't tell me, oh, I asked Jesus into my heart. I prayed the prayer. I prayed the prayer. Asked Jesus into my heart. I don't care anything about that. You can mouth words. You can walk an aisle, shake a hand, sign the card, throw a stick in the fire at youth camp. The question is, do you live for someone besides you? Do you ever feel compelled by the love of Christ? If you still largely live for you, and it's still all about you, and even if you have this American version of God is now here to just help me still get what I always wanted. Nothing's changed, but now he helps me get it. It is quite possible that you are still lights out, lost, and have never been born again. For the love of Christ compels us. Having judged thus that if one died for all, all died. So that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again. We will not do it perfectly. But there ought to be a different orientation about your life. To where you think of others. That you think kingdom. That you think bigger. That you have eternity framed up. That you're not just doing what everybody else in this world is doing. And then if there was any doubt left, if God's so big and sovereign, there's nothing for me to do. Paul shatters it in chapter 5, verse 20. When he says, For we are ambassadors for Christ. I love this phrase. As though God were pleading through us. Now I want to tell you something. Look at me. Even though God is sovereign, absolutely sovereign. He has chosen for his own good reasons. I couldn't tell you why. That he actually has no spoken voice in this world apart from ours. Oh yeah, mountains. Babies, fingernails, astronomy, biology. But that would never tell you details about who God is and what he's done for us. That takes words. And he has chosen. I know it's mind-blowing. You think, surely he has a better plan because we are pretty pathetic. He doesn't. We are ambassadors. An ambassador represents somebody else, right? And usually they consider it a privilege. Someone says, oh, I was chosen to be United States ambassador to South Africa. Folks, we got something so much better than represent America We get to be ambassadors for Jesus every day. I don't know what your station in life is. I don't know where you are in the marketplace. I don't know what your disappointments are. But every day, you should wake up if you're Christian thinking, I get to be an ambassador for Jesus. And he's going to open up some opportunities. And I want to be aware of them where he would be pleased to plead through me. God wants to plead through you with words to someone. 
It might just be a short word. It might just be Jesus. It might be a loving deed. It might. But our God, who is sovereign and has to do it, I've been pushing this in the book of Acts, uses his people. He does it through his people. And that's my final point. God still chooses to use people like you and me to point people to Jesus. Don't say if God's so sovereign, there's nothing for us to do. He has to do it and he chooses to do it through us with words. Through us with words. Through us with words. As though God were pleading through us. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, not a Christian, so glad you're here. Listen to me. Stop running from the glory of God. Stop trying to suppress those evidences that punch through your life on a regular basis and run into the arms of Jesus. He'll accept you just as you are. You will never, you will never have that sense of just what was I made for? What is going You were created in the image of God and for the glory of God. And until you begin to live that way, you will feel out of sorts. It's not your apartment. It's not your circumstances. It's not your friends. It's not that you're not married. It's not that the job isn't right. It will never feel right until you are in a right relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. You were made for this to live for the glory of Christ for the glory of God come to Christ he's never turned anyone away and if you're here and you're a Christian when you understand the condition of lost people your loved one your friend if you truly understood that here's what you would do more pray God, lift the veil. I pray for lost people. I pray for dear lost people that are very dear to me. God, lift the veil. Remove the smoke. Make Jesus beautiful. They don't lack gospel. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the gospel. So what do I do? I pray. I pray that the smoke would lift. I pray that the scales would fall from their eyes. I pray that they would hear it as good news for the first time. God can do that. That God would speak light Wherever your loved one is, some of you may not even know. I've got a son or daughter and they, they're somewhere out west, but they don't speak to me. God knows. And you can pray to Almighty God that he would speak light into their dark heart. Pray. And then wake up every day saying, Lord, how do you want to use me? Where do you want to use me? I am your servant. I am your ambassador. Help me. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for the gospel message. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this incredible season to come back to the main thing and be reminded who you are and what you've done for us and are doing in this world that we get to be a part of and get to get in on. Oh, God, thank you for Jesus. In his name, we give you thanks. Amen.